if you want to live in biblical wisdom, you cannot be one of the lemmings who follow the crowd to the sea. You must meditate on, you must give careful thought to your way. Don't deceive yourself. Don't live an unexamined life. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a new eight-part series titled, Watch Where You Step. When you hear the word foolish, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Maybe it's a friend who lost money on a bad investment, someone who is socially immature, or a person who makes silly and predictable mistakes. Well, according to the Bible, a fool is a person who denies the existence of God and suppresses God's revealed wisdom. By way of comparison, as you'll discover throughout this series, believers are called to pursue biblical godly wisdom that results in the fruit of good deeds and spiritual growth. The question that comes to mind is this, How does one pursue biblical wisdom? Before we begin to explore this important question, here's Tom with an opening thought. As we begin a series on biblical wisdom, I think it's important to start with the reminder that we live in a world that is truly saturated in foolishness. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that those who abandon the true God end up professing themselves to be wise but becoming fools. That's the world we live in. That's what surrounds us. It's the air we breathe, the water in which we swim. And so I think we have to understand that in order to pursue biblical wisdom, we have to step back outside of our world and allow God to reinform our thinking. The charge from Paul to us as believers is as relevant and important today as it was in the first century. God is calling us to biblical wisdom instead of the foolishness that surrounds us. We're going to talk about how we can get there, and Paul is very clear about the path to biblical wisdom. Thanks, Tom. And friend, open your Bible now as we join our teacher here on The Word Unleashed. I want us to return this morning to our study of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and to a familiar passage that will begin to unfold, but one that I'm confident we have not understood in its fullness and in its richness. I've often been struck with the thought that most criminals were apparently never honor students. A perfect example comes from earlier this month in England. I don't know if you read the story. It made many of the, of the newspapers here in the U.S. A British man named Matthew Maynard was wanted in connection with a robbery of a house. So, South Wales police had a photo of him, and they gave that photo of Maynard to the local paper. It was part of their appeal for the public's help to catch this local criminal. When the picture actually appeared in the local paper, the 24-year-old Matthew Maynard didn't like the outdated mugshot of him that the police had used, so he decided, for publicity's sake, to send the newspaper an updated photograph of himself standing in front of a police van. He didn't think the one that they had printed was the best shot of him or presented him in the best light. 
So the newspaper received this new photograph, this updated photograph, and obliged him by printing it on the front page of the paper. And with his current photograph, he was quickly spotted and shortly arrested. The police thanked him publicly for his help. (laughs) When we think of a definition of foolish, it's usually someone like that, a story like that that comes to mind. When we think foolish, we think in terms, informally, of someone who is utterly lacking in common sense. And in fact, this is how Webster's Dictionary defines foolish, a person who lacks judgment or sense. But our informal definition or ideas about this concept of foolishness or Webster's definition, those are not biblical definitions. That's not how God defines a fool. Those things are not what come to the mind of God when he thinks or considers something foolish. Now, the Bible has much to say about that which God considers foolish and those whom God consider fools. Let me just briefly delineate for you how a fool is defined in the eyes of God. Sometimes a fool actually denies God, either denies God's existence or by his behavior denies that God exists. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But that doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks there isn't one because it goes on to say, they are corrupt, they have committed abominable deeds, There is no one who does good. So here's a person who either literally or practically says there's no God and behaves and acts as if one doesn't exist. Sometimes a fool blasphemes God. Psalm 74, 22, arise, O God, and plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you all day long. They mock sin. Proverbs 14, 9 says fools mock at sin. Another proverb says it's like a sport to them. It's like a hobby, a pastime. They love sin. Proverbs 13, 19 says, it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. The thing that they find an abomination is to turn from their practice of sin. But in spite of all of that, a fool, by biblical definitions, has an incredible capacity for foolish self-confidence. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. But if you want to know how to identify a fool from God's perspective, the primary characteristic of a fool in the eyes of God is found in Proverbs chapter 1. After Solomon introduces the book of Proverbs in verses 1 through 6, he states the theme of the book in verse 7. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here, he says, is the essence of what it means to be a fool. A fool will not receive God's wisdom, God's instruction, but instead he delights in his own way. Now, Solomon develops this even more, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 1, as he personifies wisdom as a lady. So here's wisdom, verse 20, shouting in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square. 
At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. In other words, wisdom is available. It's not like it can't be had. She's crying out, offering herself in all the public places. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, that is, repent. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Notice, wisdom comes by revelation, by words. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel, did not want my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Here is the definition of a fool, verse 29 and 30. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way, be satiated with their own devices, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The defining characteristic of a fool in the eyes of God is someone who will not receive his wisdom, his instruction given to us by revelation. As Derek Kidner in his excellent commentary on Proverbs writes, the fool is by definition one whose mind is closed to God, like the fool of Psalm 14, and whose mind is closed to reason, like Nabal, of whom his wife said, one cannot speak to him. Since he, that is the fool, has rejected the first principle of wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord. So then from God's perspective, listen carefully, a fool is a person who will not have God's wisdom, who will not have God's revealed wisdom, but has therefore a morally deficient character that produces spiritually irrational behavior. As one commentator defines it, foolishness is moral corruption from the standpoint of its impact on judgment and reason. By that definition, most of Western civilization's greatest minds, greatest intellects are fools in the eyes of God. Men like Rousseau and Hemingway and Sartre and Russell and on and on the list goes. They may have had brilliant minds, they may have had great intellects, but from the vantage point of God, they were and are fools. So then it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, why the Scripture calls us as Christians to biblical wisdom, to God's wisdom. And that's exactly what Paul reminds the Ephesian believers of in the next passage that we come to in his letter to them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I'm just going to read four verses for you this morning that set the stage for this next section. And listen to Paul's call for us to pursue biblical wisdom. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The focus of this paragraph comes in the familiar language of the second half of this letter. Notice he begins with the language of walking. Now, let me just remind you that in the first three chapters of this letter, Paul explains to us as well as to them our position in Christ, all of the spiritual blessings that have become ours because of what Christ has done. In those first three chapters, there's only one command. It comes in chapter 2, verse 11, remember. But beginning in chapter 4 and running through the end of the book, chapter 6, Paul reminds us of the implications of that new position that we have in Christ. And it's filled with commands, but it hinges on the first command he gives. Look back at chapter 4, verse 1. This is the theme for the second half of the letter. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He gathers up everything he said in the first three chapters and says, because of those realities, walk in a way that's worthy of what you have come to enjoy. How? How can we walk worthy of our calling? How can we walk worthy of that new position we have in Christ? Well, as chapters four through six unfolds, Paul explains. We've seen it, haven't we? We can walk worthy by walking in unity. Chapter four, verses two through 16. We can walk worthy by walking in new life. Chapter four, verse 17 to 24. We can walk worthy by walking in love. Chapter four, verse 25, down through chapter five, verse two. And the last section that we just finished, chapter five, verses three through 14, we can walk worthy by walking in sexual purity. Today we begin to look at one last way that we can walk worthy of our calling in Christ. And it's the longest section of the entire letter. It begins in verse 15 of chapter five and runs all the way down through verse nine of chapter six. When this section ends, then comes the end of the book. In fact, he concludes, starting in chapter six, verse 10, with the exhortation to put on the armor of God. Now the theme of this long section that runs from chapter five, verse 15, through chapter six, verse nine, appears in the command of verse 15. Look at it again, here's the theme. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. If you want to walk worthy of your position in Christ, then walk in biblical wisdom. Let me show you how this huge section unfolds. In the four verses I read, verses 15 through 18, you have the command to walk in biblical wisdom. And then beginning in chapter five, verse 19, and running all the way through chapter six, verse nine, you have the consequences of walking in biblical wisdom. The command to walk in biblical wisdom, and then the consequences, or the fruit, or the product of walking in biblical wisdom. And he develops it in a number of relationships in life. He starts by explaining the consequences for every Christian, and then for every Christian wife, and for every Christian husband, for every child, for every parent, for every worker or employee, and for every master or employer. All of those relationships are developed. How they look 
in a life lived in biblical wisdom. So you can see then that we have quite a journey ahead of us. Although this is one huge section, and we have to keep that in mind as we work our way through it, we will deal with each part of this section on its own. We'll talk about the wives, we'll talk about the husbands, and so forth as we walk our way through it. But what I want you to see this morning is the fountainhead of all those wonderful, familiar texts, the spring from which they all flow is chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, and the command to walk in biblical wisdom. Let's look at that command together. Verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, the word therefore may point back to the immediately previous section. Paul may be saying, in light of these huge differences between us and unbelievers, that is, that they are dead and living in darkness, and we are now alive and light. In light of those huge differences, therefore, be careful how you walk. That may be what Paul is saying. But I think it's more likely that this word therefore points all the way back to chapter 4, verse 1. Many commentators take this position, that Paul is now introducing a new section and he's essentially going all the way back to gather that, that phrase that he began this section of the book with, walk worthy of your calling. Therefore, in light of that, here's how I want you to walk. Now, notice Paul is again talking about our walk. So let me remind you that by our walk, he means the paths that we take in daily life. That is, the paths our minds take, our thoughts take, the paths our attitudes normally take, the paths our speech takes each day, the paths that our behavior normally takes each day. We have paths. We have predictable patterns of behavior. We have habits, lifestyle. And Paul is saying when it comes to those patterns, those paths, those habits of thinking and talking and living, we are not to be like those that God would call unwise. On the other hand, we are consistently to be walking like those God considers wise. Notice wisdom here is about living. It's not about what you know. It's about how you translate what you know into how you live how you walk, the paths you take each day. As one commentator writes, Andrew Lincoln, to live as a wise person is not just to have knowledge, but to have skill in living, to have the sort of understanding that authenticates itself in practice. Now, how can we do that? I mean, Titus 3 tells us we used to be foolish How can we now consistently be walking as those who are thinking and speaking and behaving as biblically wise? You know, here's the incredible thing to me about Scripture. I never cease to be amazed by it. Because Paul here gives us a very clear command. If you want to honor Christ, you want to walk worthy of his calling in your life, of what he has done for you, then walk as those who are wise. And then he turns right around and lays out the path. In the next four verses, Paul marks out the path to a life of biblical wisdom. Do you want to live wisely in the world in a way that God would consider wise? If you're a believer, you do, because God's placed that within you. 
There is within your heart a desire to please him, to walk in paths every day that honor him. How do you do that? Well, there are several crucial components of a life of biblical wisdom. Crucial components. If you want to live a life of biblical wisdom, the first component that must be true is this. Examine your ways. Examine your ways. Look at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The warning, be careful, it's one of the common Greek words for seeing. It's like Paul is saying, watch out, look out. In this context, it means to contemplate, to think about, to weigh carefully. It's a command for every believer to carefully weigh, to contemplate how he walks. Murray writes, he bids them keep a close watch on the principles by which they are regulating their lives. I cannot tell you how important this is. This is absolutely crucial to every one of us as believers because one of the surest ways to ensure that you will live a life of a fool is by never stopping to think about the paths you're on. Let me say that again. One of the surest ways to ensure a life of foolishness is simply never to think deeply about the course you're on. There's a proverb that gripped my heart many years ago now that makes this point. I want you to look at it. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 8. Solomon writes this, The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Notice he says, wisdom, the wisdom of the sensible person, that is the wise person, is to understand. Here the word understand, the Hebrew word understand, means to give thought to, to consider. It's one of the Hebrew words that's sometimes used of meditation. One of the practices that distinguishes the wise is that he considers, he gives thought to, he meditates on his way. Now, the Hebrew word for way describes a well-worn path. When it's used metaphorically as it is here, it refers to one's habits, the path you take day after day, the ruts you make by your behavior day after day. And he's saying, what makes a wise person wise, one of the defining characteristics of a wise person is that he gives careful thought to, he meditates on, he understands his paths, the paths he takes day after day, or the way he takes. On the other hand, notice the second half of the verse, the foolishness of fools is deception. One of the practices that distinguish fools is deception. What kind of deception? Well, you need to understand a little bit about Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. It's not defined by rhyme. It's defined primarily by parallelism. That is, there's one line and a second line that somehow is parallel. Sometimes that second line is synonymous. That is, it just tells you more about the first line. Other times, it is antithetical. That is, it is the opposite of the first line. And that's what we have here. And so you have these two juxtaposed. That means then 
that in the second line of our proverb we're looking at, deception is the opposite of understanding or thinking or meditating. So in other words, Proverbs 14.8 is referring to the fact that the fool refuses to think deeply about his way. He refuses to understand his way about his patterns of life, and that leads only to deception. Not the deception of others, but his own self-deception. He is self-deceived because he doesn't think about his way, his paths. You remember back in Proverbs 1, the passage I just read for you, it ends in verse 32 by saying this, the complacency of fools will destroy them. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, Watch Where You Step. Tom will have part two for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.